I welcome you today. That might be unfamiliar to you, Casa de Erosion. But we have had an opportunity to partner with them. It's a church, an Hispanic church, that has just gotten a building. Uh, another converged church. But they are doing some amazing things. And we're going to talk about it in just a little bit. But we are so grateful to be able to partner with them, to encourage them, to be able to, well, help them do all that God wants them to do in their community. Well, it, I'm not sure you know Spanish or understand Spanish, but, but it got you a little excited of the excitement and the building of a new place, a new church. Well, we have been in Acts, and Acts is the biblical history of the church. Our passage today, <laughs> well, it'll, it'll probably make you smile. Um, but it's the story of Eutychus falling asleep during Paul's sermon. Now, the story is humorous mostly because it ends well, all right? Because poor Eutychus dropped three stories and died. I'm just letting you know it's going to get better. But many of us can identify with the slow drift towards sleep that can overtake us during a lecture, a film, and even a sermon. But this story isn't mainly about how to stay awake during corporate worship. This section of Scripture encourages encouragement. Let's pray. Father, we do come together. We are excited to meet as God's people. We are so grateful, God, that we can sing your praises. We come before you recognizing that we come into your throne room boldly and that you hear our requests. Lord, every one of us come to you, our great God, the creator, the God who, well, spoke into existence all things. Lord, we don't understand your power. We don't even understand your ways at times. But we know that you love us. We know that you are a God of grace. We know that you sacrificed for us in order to be redeemed and reconciled. We just want to say thank you. We are overwhelmed at times and why you treat us the way you do. None of us are treated what we deserve. None of us get what we deserve. But God, you sent your son Jesus to pay our debt to give us abundant life and eternal. We just want to say thank you. There are so many other churches beside Casa de Orision who, who are meeting together, who are praising your name, who are being fed by your word, not only here or in this county, but all over our world. We pray especially, though, this week for Chaina Lakes Community Church, for Indian Hill, and for Living Hope. We are grateful for these churches and for these, well, 
folks that love you and desire deeply to make an impact wherever they go. Be with them. Encourage them. This day, God, we ask that you would do a special work right here at Cross Point. That as your word goes out, that you, Lord, would change us from the inside out. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, our God raises the dead. The living Christ gives us power to persevere, to advance the gospel in the midst of persecution, and even sing when we're discouraged. Yet every day it seems like we need our tires pumped more and more. Life is hard, mostly because of selfishness. Sometimes it's our selfishness, and other times it's selfishness of those in the room. Or sometimes life is hard just because we have no answers. But life is burdensome because of relationships, because of family dynamics, because of sickness and finances and aging and ministry. Life is hard because of our vocation, because of the employment we have engaged in, because of our grief, because of our unstable future. Life is hard because of past abuse or prejudice or injustice or war, or famine, or even as we've learned, the lack of toilet paper. God is good. We've sung about it. We believe that. We believe he is always good. He is wise and caring and loving and gracious. And he is king. He is sovereign. He is in control. He is in charge. But often our situations and our circumstances blind us to who God is. We need encouragement to get up, to keep going at times. Encouragement to stay the course, to repent, to be joyful. Well, this passage today illustrates some of the ways believers can give and receive Christ-exalting, Spirit-empowered encouragement. So if you would, turn your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 20. We're going to start reading at verse 1 and read through verse 6, at least in this first part. But Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 1. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen behind me. But let's read Acts chapter 20, verse 1. When the uproar was over, Paul sent for the believers and encouraged them. Then he said goodbye and left for Macedonia. While there, he encouraged the believers in all the towns he passed through. Then he traveled down to Greece, where he stayed for three months. He was preparing to sail back to Syria when he discovered a plot by some Jews against his life, so he decided to return through Macedonia. Several men were traveling with him. They were Sopater, son of Pires from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derbe, Timothy, Antichicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. 
they went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. After the Passover ended, we boarded a ship at Philippi in Macedonia, and five days later joined them in Troas, where we stayed a week. If you're joining us for the very first week, this may almost sound like gobbledygook. Who are all these people? Where are they going? How come Paul is talking like this? Why is he spending time? What's the need for encouragement? But let me try to catch you up quickly by just saying this. Paul's ministry is to get the gospel out, is to plant as many different churches and to encourage those churches to be able to plant more churches. But because Paul's ministry is fruitful, it often means trouble. Because anytime the gospel is listened to, anytime we respond to the gospel, our lives begin to change. Our priorities are shifting. And people at this time in the city of Ephesus, a thriving metropolis, well, they are turning from idols to the living God. It seems like a great spot to be in, and it was for some, because church was being strengthened. But it wasn't so much, as you read back in Acts chapter 19, for the sorcery industry or for those people who made idols Hmm. Christians were making an impact everywhere they went by their posts. Well, not back then, but in choices and friendships. In Acts 19, Ephesus, as a result of a church that was alive and thriving and infiltrating the whole city, erupts and the action moves to the greatest place for people to gather the amphitheater. Well, a couple believers seem to take the brunt of this anarchy. But eventually, the crowds are quieted and they are dispersed. This is where we come in in chapter 20, verse 1. After the uproar, after the riot, after all these folks who were chanting they left the amphitheater. The Christians in the Ephesus church had to be shaken up. They knew that, well, trouble was expected and that everyone who follows Jesus will suffer. But they had to be taken back a little bit. So after the uproar, the scriptures tell us right there in verse 1, Paul gathers the believers and encouraged them. We don't know what he said. We don't know how long he stayed there. But all we know is they were encouraged. The scriptures then tell us that Paul leaves for Macedonia. We've already covered some of that. Let me give you some cities just to remind you. Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Those were all on that circuit and even Lystra, but they were all around there, and Paul had planted churches, and the scriptures say that Paul left 
and he encouraged all the people in all those towns, all those places where churches had been started. It had been some weeks and even some months before Paul was back there, but he just jumped right in. He gathered folks around and encouraged them. Again, we don't know exactly what he said, why he said it, how long he stayed at each place. But what we can do is say this. Paul sees encouragement as critical. And for me as a pastor and me as a person and me as a husband and a father and a grandfather, I was convicted. Because sometimes I'm critical, or sometimes I'm ungrateful, or sometimes people are a blessing. No, no, they're not. And, and sometimes I don't feel like encouraging. I feel like leaving. I feel like giving up. I feel like it's not worth it. I wonder about life. And the questions come just like bullets from a Tommy gun. But before I go further, I just need to backtrack just a little bit here because some of this may not be making sense. It was during Paul's ministry in Ephesus that Paul and the Corinthians became embroiled in some drama. Corinth was the church that he spent 18 months at, and he planted this church and was there right before he went to the church at Ephesus. So Paul knew this church. Paul had birthed this church. Paul was teaching in this church. All these good things happened. But after Paul left this church in the hands of good people, some believers in Corinth opposed Paul and attacked his person and credentials. So Paul didn't have FaceTime and he couldn't make a phone call. So he addressed the issues in a letter. And the scriptures call it a painful letter. A letter that was delivered by one of his cohorts named Timothy, excuse me, Titus. But we also find out in 2 Timothy that this letter was not well received. When Titus handed it over, when Titus read Paul's words to the church at Corinth, they didn't like Paul's words, which were actually God's words. So Paul, loving this church, wanted to encourage it, but also confront it. So he had sent that letter. He got news that it wasn't well received. But Titus was on his way back. And before he wanted to go personally to Corinth, he wanted to hear from Titus. Hey, give me the scoop. When they finally met, Titus actually brought Paul good news. The offenders, those who were disobedient, they were punished or disciplined. And the church was actually at peace with Paul. So once he received this report, while he was in Macedonia, that's verse 1, 
Paul wrote 2 Corinthians and sent it ahead of his own three-month visit to Corinth. Now, it was important. Paul loved the church, and he knew sometimes the church needed hard words. Sometimes the church needed hugs. But while he was encouraging those churches in Macedonia, he has written again a letter to the Corinth church because he knew he was going to end up there in just a few weeks. He wanted to prepare them. He wanted to encourage them. And some of you have been at our church for a while. We had a study in 2 Corinthians not too long ago. It was a letter that Paul poured out his heart and was so well received. Well, it took a while for the Corinth church to get there. So, Paul knew a few things. First of all, he was not going to probably come back to the church in Corinth. So this three-month stay would be it. That would be all the time he had with these people, which he loved dearly. Also, while he was there during this three-month period, he wrote his letter to Romans. Remember that oftentimes, whenever Paul was serving and working and equipping and encouraging, he always would be thinking ahead. He was hoping to meet the Christians in, in Rome, and he wrote them this powerful letter. Now, in our text, you can see after a short stay in Corinth, Paul plans to return to his home church and ultimately to Jerusalem. We find that in chapter 19. But here's what comes a little bit odd. He gets a death threat. He is threatened. We don't know how bad it was. We don't know all the situations. But at that time, Paul readjusts his schedule. He sends most of his companions to Troas, which is, again, a port city. And eventually, Paul joined them. Now, here's the deal. You, you see this list of men. It, it seems a little bit odd in some ways, but... Let, let me try to point out just a few things, and, and I think this will make sense. First of all, Paul isn't planting any churches right now. He's encouraging churches. He's revisiting churches. He wants to make sure they are stable. But one of the things after he was encouraging Ephesus just now, and Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Lystra and Corinth, Paul also wanted to make sure he could encourage the saints in Jerusalem. That's where the church started. But they had been going through famine, and they had gone through great persecution. And so many had lost jobs. And Paul wanted these new churches, these newly planted churches, to be able to encourage them by taking an offering and by sending it to the church in Jerusalem to encourage them. Now, we get more of these details and don't have time for it right now, but it's found in 2 Corinthians and in Romans. So what we find out is these seven guys 
really are representatives of all the different churches that they took offerings. And that God used these men to help, well, have the appearance of accountability. And to be able to travel, even in safety at this time, so that these funds could be dispersed. Now later in Acts chapter 24, when we get there, you're going to find Paul's great joy as he's able to literally at this point in his life give the money to the church in Jerusalem. And these saints are so encouraged which brings me back to Casa de Oración. You saw that opening video. You heard Pastor Abram just thank our congregation. We didn't send a whole lot their way, but we took an offering. And we, sp and we sent a little over $6,000 to them to encourage them as they bought a building, begin to renovate it, as you saw, and begin their ministry in a new place, in a new neighborhood. I had a privilege of going to that church and to be able to meeting and seeing with my own eyes. And they, they were so excited for the opportunities that they're going to have. There's so much life and so much encouragement. And we got to be just or have just a little bit of part of it. You know, a few years back, when I was the pastor at Grace Community Church in Palatine, it was a church that was planted by the Arlington Heights Evangelical Free Church. At that time, Grace Community shared a building with another Hispanic church called Corona de Amor. And so we co-owned this building. And it was a new building, and there were renovations, and everybody, again, was working in order to spruce it up. After all, it was a warehouse. But one of the things we found out really quickly is how expensive chairs were. And we wanted to get chairs because it was really important, we thought, in worship and in teaching that people wouldn't sit on the floor. And so we asked the Arlington Heights Evangelical Free Church, a church that just sent us out, and said, hey, would you be up for helping us get chairs? No kidding. Their response was unbelievable. And they not only supplied the chairs for us, but both churches, both churches were blessed as a result of, well, something that another church who had a better financial that who, who was in a better financial place said, yeah, we'd love to help you. We'd love to encourage you. And this is what was happening back then. Churches helping other churches. So we see encouragement is a big deal. But what I thought is I'm not so sure all of us understand what encouragement is. I, I don't. Because I think Christian encouragement or biblical encouragement is a little bit different. You see, Christian encouragement isn't focused on complimenting someone's haircut or telling them how good their homemade salsa tastes. Although that's important and, and that kind of encouragement is important. But it's different than Christian encouragement. 
let me try to help you understand this. Christian encouragement gives hope and lifts someone's heart toward the Lord. You encourage them on the journey. It points out evidences of grace in another person's life to help them see that God is actually using them. Christian encouragement points a person to God's promises that assures them that all they face is under control. You see, the New Testament reveals that encouragement is a regular part of the early church's gatherings. We are learning this from the very beginning. But in Acts 13 and 16 and 18 and 20 and 27, you'll see large portions dedicated to encouraging the flock. Believers shared scripture-saturated words with each other in order to spur one another on in faith and in hope and in unity and in joy and strength and fruitfulness and faithfulness and perseverance and even the certainty of Christ's return, something that Dave alluded to in our worship. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it's so ironic that, that Paul is trying to encourage people that they will someday see believers who have died before them and that the Lord is going to come back with a mighty blast of a trumpet and someday we will be together with God forever. He ends in chapter 4 with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Hey, folks, life is hard. Our world's a mess. There's chaos out there. But I want you to know, someday you will be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. Encourage one another with this truth. So we find out that encouragement was critical in the life of the early church. Let me read some other scriptures to you, and you can jot these down in your notes. But in Romans chapter 15, starting verse 1 and 2, Paul writes this, We who are strong must be considered of those who are sensitive about things like this. Uh, Paul says we must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. Be others focused, especially those who are strong, especially those who have gone, well, and had many experiences. That's why I think older saints are so critical to the church. Because for years and years and years they have seen God's faithfulness. For years and years and years God has never failed. And they're able to proclaim God's truth and encourage others in the faith, build them up. In Hebrews chapter 3, starting at verse 12 and 13, the author of Hebrews says this, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, given a warning here, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. Make sure you don't, don't doubt because this will turn you away from the living God. You must warn or encourage each 
other every day so that none of you are deceived by sin or hardened against God. Because that's the enemy's plan, is to deceive you, is to make God's image fuzzy. Oh, God's not going to take care of you this day. Hey, I know you lost a job. I know, and fill in the blank. Is God really going to be faithful? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, so many of you even know this by heart, but let everything you say be good and helpful. Uh, let me say it again. Let everything that comes out of your mouth, that comes out of my mouth, be good and helpful. I, I'll say it a different way. Let everything that comes out of your mouth be good and helpful so that your words, so that my words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting at verse 11. Paul writes this to a church. So encourage one another. Build each other up. Make sure that when you meet together, Paul says, pump each other's tires. Yes, your haircuts are great, but that's not what he's talking about. Remind people who God is. Encourage them to keep the faith. Share with them some truth. And then he goes on, just as you're already doing. You're, you're doing this, but <laughs> I, I don't want you to forget this. This is a priority. This is really important. And then he says this, dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. There's so many leaders, not only in this church, but in your lives. And especially as I learned over these COVID months and living in the United States of America, recognizing again the different pressures that leaders go under. And it's so easy to criticize. And to think that maybe they don't need encouragement like everybody else does. But Paul says at the end of Thessalonians, encourage one another, everybody, everybody. But I, I want to focus on some of your leaders. Encourage them and live at peace with each other. So Paul reminds us along with other New Testament writers, we must encourage one another constantly, constantly. This is so convicting for me. But our hearts are fickle. Sin never sleeps. Satan is at work. And discouragement happens to every one of us easily. Knowing the reality of spiritual war and the need to fan the flame of Christians' passion for the king, Paul makes several trips in order to build up believers. 
this shows me. It indicates to me that we need to maybe elevate encouragement, not only in this church, but in the marketplace and everywhere we go. What can we do? How can we encourage others? Well, I'd like to give you three ways that I think you can encourage someone this week. This week. First of all, give time. In our text, it says that Paul visited and served. You know, sometimes, especially on a Sunday, it's hard to miss a corporate worship service. But there's still some gaps right now in our children's ministries. I think, again, it would be a blessing to our families and to our kids if some would step up here and serve so that our families might be encouraged. I'd like to just share one impact, the story of June. I just heard this story as I talked to one of my friends. June is 95 years old. June is in a memory care unit. June doesn't know anything about her family right now, doesn't recognize anyone at all at this stage in her life. But my friend Bob celebrated a birthday with all the rest of the kids in the family in June's room. June thought these people were really nice. That, that was great, you know. But then they started to sing. They sang songs like, Jesus loves me. All of a sudden, June started singing. Jesus loves me. Now, I'm pretty sure that is not a top 10 song of those in, who are 95 years old. Maybe it is. But I know when you're two years old and three years old and four years old and five years old and six years old, this is a song over and over and over and over you sing. It's a simple song. It's a song that carries with it great truth. You think that working with kids makes an impact all of their lives? It does. It did in June's life 92, 93 years ago. And she still is singing. I want to say this, and, and again, it's, we're, we have some gaps in our children's Sunday ministries. But I want to say this, is that some of our warriors just recently are taking a little time off. Many of you got the email about Brian and Amanda. They just are celebrating a brand new little boy. They're very much part of this ministry. And to be honest, they've got some more important things to take care of right now. You also got an email, an email about Bill Ziegler. Bill faithfully works down in the Tiny Tots. Well, Bill just had a heart attack. Bill's doing well, but Bill is not going to be able to get down on his knees with these tiny tots. And some of you can't either. I get it. But all I'm saying is, is that we have an opportunity to encourage other people. And sometimes we don't take advantage. 
I was talking to Matt, who oversees our trustees, hoping again to get different projects done, to encourage, to get things ready for ministry come September. And the workers are lean. I don't know, maybe there's someone here that might be able to lend a hand, might be able to talk to Matt, might be able to talk to Willie and say, you know what, I could go down. I could do that. I could encourage someone else right now. What about our community? You've seen something just come up in an email that there's a mobile food pantry this Friday from 3 o'clock to 5.30. Need help distributing food. Wow. A smile, some joy. You can see Tanya. If, if maybe God is prompting you to serve those, someone outside our walls, opportunities like this, folks, come up all the time. They do. How else can you encourage others this week? I think by giving financially. Well, what does that mean? I'm not talking about to the church here. I'm talking about folks that you may are, or that you might be aware of. Someone that could use a meal. Someone that could use a gas card. Somebody that might be able to be encouraged as you give a gift financially. Maybe God has given you the ability to be generous financially. Because there are people who are discouraged. There are people that, that maybe they just need some money for a babysitter. Or maybe you want to babysit so they can go out and have a meal. Wow. I think the last thing we could do to encourage others this week is to give the word. Last week we we chatted the importance of God's Word. I trust you were inspired and you were encouraged and that you spent some good time with our God this week. But one of the things and the reasons that we stay in the Word every day, that we're fed by God every day, is that God initially gives each one of us strength so that we might also set up others well to encourage them. I cannot tell you over and over and over again how God uses the scripture that I read, that he uses in my life, that he's convicting me about, that 2 o'clock that afternoon, I have an opportunity to share or to pump somebody's tires. I cannot tell you how often that happens. So the Word of God not only feeds me and encourages me and strengthens me, but it equips me. It gives me opportunity to be able to encourage others. So if I miss it, I miss my feeding, and I miss an opportunity that oftentimes God gives me. I, I encourage you to give the Word to everyone, to meet with people, to share your hope to use God's word. And his intentionality increases in our time after, well, COVID shutdown. So does our impact. Even on back porches, where you might be able to now get together with two or three or four others 
and be able to share with them well, how God is working and how you might be able to pump tires. I know what's happening. I know what's happening in this church. I do. And I know it's making a difference. We must realize that our failure to encourage is a sign that maybe we really don't love our brothers and sisters like we ought. Maybe our lack of serving others, well, shows us that our plans and our needs are way too important. My prayer is for this week as we hear this that God may break our hearts and lead us to repentance and show us how we can encourage others this week. Now look at chapter 20, starting at verse 7. And we're almost done. But this is kind of the story that almost everybody knows. And I think there's some important things here, but I just didn't want to focus on it today. On the first thing, or on the first day, Luke writes, of the week, we gathered with local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. Oh. The upstairs room where they met were lighted with many flickering lamps, and as Paul spoke on and on, a young man named Eutychus, sitting on the windowsill, became very drowsy. Finally, he fell asleep and dropped three stories to his death below. Paul went down, bent over him, took him up in his arms. Don't worry, he said, he's alive. Then they all went back upstairs, shared in the Lord's Supper, and ate together. Paul continued talking to them until dawn, and then he left. Meanwhile, the young man was taken home alive and well, and everyone was greatly relieved or greatly encouraged. Hey, there's no doubt that unusual happens right here. But what's cool about this passage is that it is the earliest recorded description of a Christian worship service. And there are three things that happen in this service. First of all, they gathered on a Sunday, the first day of the week. I think most of the time the early church made the shift from Saturday the Sabbath to Sunday the first day of the week simply because that was a day that reminded them mostly of the resurrection of Jesus. Secondly, we find out that the teaching of the Word was a priority. Now, now, let me just say this. This is not an admonition to have 10 or 12 or 14-hour sermons. It, it is not, so it's okay. But what I do know is this, is that when there was just a little bit of time left, the thing that Paul wanted to focus on was to teach them. God's word was so very, very important. I only have 12 hours. I only have six hours. I only have 10 minutes. I want to focus on what is important. And the word is what will transform us. I want to encourage you, as you receive God's word, whether it's a devotion, whether it's a podcast, whether it's coming here on a Sunday. But I would encourage you to prepare yourself every time the book is open. Every time we have an opportunity to hear from God. Maybe on the way to church, there's a time of confession. 
There's a time of cleaning, a cleansing, so that you might hear and participate. I, I encourage you to expect to be inspired or convicted or both. Because even as we focused a lot on this last week, there isn't, God's word is a hammer, it's a fire, it's a sword, it's intending to make changes in our lives. And I think we need to listen humbly and respectfully and obey quickly. These are so many things that we hear about, but, but oftentimes Sunday, Sunday comes along or anytime we open up the Word and what happens is we get busy or we get ornery or we just go through the motions. Oh, this is an exciting, a good and a healthy time. Third thing that happened was that the fellowship meal was served. Now in our text, it looks like the Lord's Supper, which was communion, that's true, and a meal. Back in that time, it would actually be called a fellowship meal. So that after the service, normally, what would happen is people would gather, and as they would gather, part of this meal would be celebrating communion and then having food together. I do think we have to understand that there is always a vertical and a horizontal dimension to Christian meetings. And both have tremendous benefits for individuals and for the crowd. I also know that if I look at this, there are some important elements who are mi- that are missing. It doesn't talk at all about praise at that moment. It doesn't talk about prayer or even offerings. And these are all healthy parts of worship services. But at this moment, there were three things that at least this church focused on. As I close, I want to encourage you to make our gatherings on Sunday a priority. You see, gathering together now is often debated, especially in light of online offerings. Gathering with the church is much more than just feeding or encouraging you. It is wise. It is critical. In fact, one of the things that I've noticed as I've chatted with people and encouraged people, if for some reason you are not drawn to a weekly worship time with other believers, and there's reasons you don't come, but but if you have these choices, my question to you is, is your relationship with Jesus where it ought to be? You see, every week, those that gather here have roles to play. We don't gather to be entertained, but to encourage and to receive encouragement. We gather for the good of our own soul and the good of the souls of our brothers and sisters. And so this corporate worship time is protected. Can you imagine at the end of every service, or maybe as you walk in, you recognize that God has a special role for you. You're listening to the Holy Spirit and its promptings. And maybe there's someone down the pew, excuse me, chairs, uh, down the row, down whatever. And, and God says, go pray with that person. Maybe they're hurting. 
Maybe you're sharing with one another what they have been convicted about or what they have been inspired about. And so at the end of a service or even beginning of a service, there's all these clusters of people all over chatting about what God is doing. It's okay to talk about how the socks are doing, although right now it's not a good spot. Or it's okay to talk about, and you can go through all the different things. But what's so cool about a gathering is that how can we encourage one another, encourage one another in the faith? How can we encourage one another to keep moving forward on the journey? You see, God's mission is unfinished. We all get to share good news. We all get to encourage others inside these walls, outside these walls. But I want to just remind you that encouragement is so very, very important. May God give you his eyes and his courage and his strength this day to make a difference in other people's lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can gather. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you, dear God, in the midst of chaos and anarchy that we can um, even thrive. We can sing for joy. We recognize that you, God, you alone are sovereign. Increase our faith. Give us your eyes. May all of our words be good and wonderful to encourage believers, neighbors, family, wherever we get to go each day. God, you are good, and you are good all the time. We pray this in your son's name.